Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NFL season, it's in full swing, and you might not be at the game this year, but you could still be in on all the action at BetOnline. Like whoever had money down on Tony LaRusso becoming the next manager of the White Sox, retire now. You're getting the blue plate special, my friend. And at BetOnline.ag, you can find game spreads, totals, live betting apps, team player coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. They also always have that online casino as well. It never closes. To head to BetOnline.ag today. Take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the pod. We got some breaking news coming down the pipe. We're going to talk some fantasy football today with my tutty guy, my resident fantasy football expert, Dave Raspoli. But we got to talk a little baseball today because the White Sox have just named their next manager, the young whippersnapper, a guy by the name of Tony Larusa. Uh, looks like he's been cutting his teeth, uh, or maybe he has teeth. It's really tough to say. But let's bring in Dave Raspoli to talk about this breaking news issue. Dave, how are you doing today? Joey, I'm doing good. I got to be honest, this is not the news I expected to wake up to. You and I have a great White Sox text thread going on with a couple of buddies in Chicago. Who, who happen to frequent the pod from time to time. Patrick, definitely, definitely. That's right, that's yeah. right, that's right. Our, our, our podcast foursome for the Chicago Sox. Joey, we threw out Tony La Russa as kind of a bit. It was kind of like a joke, right? He was mashed in there with Don Zimmer and Jim Leland smoking heaters in the, in the dugout. And yeah. Yeah, it was definitely something that we threw out there because, you know, when we let Ricky Renteria go, you know, typically White Sox managers have been, have been in organization guys or guys that have the inner circle or, you know, the are close to Jerry Reinsdorf one way or the other. And if you kind of roll it back a little bit, you go from Ricky Renteria, who was a Chicago hire, I feel like that that was just done as a placeholder to kind of bring the prospects along. But before that, you'll see Robin Ventura, you see Ozzie Guillen, you know, all these guys are, are, are in the White Sox organization more or less. And who knew that all along Tony La Russa is back in the fold. He's going to be in his late seventies by the time he finally puts on those White Sox pajamas again. Uh, no, it's a uniform, Mr. La Russa. It's not pajamas. You know, what's, what's your initial thought, Dave? I mean, what does your heart tell you right now? Because it's just hard to speculate exactly statistically tangibly what's going to happen with this White Sox team. So what does your heart tell you? Well, I'm assuming half the White Sox players are going, who? We got ourselves a young team, Joey. And we found the oldest guy out there who's probably still willing to coach. My thing is, who's going to show him how to get to the stadium? Who's going to drive him there? Who's going to point him to the dugout? Who's going to help him pronounce all the names of the players? Who's going to teach him about how to use a cell phone and text and relate to these young guns, Joey? <laughs> I mean, here's your iPad, a- Mr. LaRussa. And I what? Yeah. It's got all we, your stats right there for you. We have a stud that we nickname El Pantera. And I think Tony LaRussa was around when the band Pantera was at the top of the charts. That's when he was coaching. I don't know how all of this fits together. I mean, I guess in theory, I like it. I'm not mad at it, so to speak. 
but this definitely feels like uh this could go south uh uh pun intended southsiders this is gonna go real south in a hurry joey what do you think because you're actually the one who threw out his name so where'd that come joke. from? I did as Where'd a that joke. come from? Okay, talk, talk to me about how you're feeling about this. Well, and I, I think I might be echoing how you're feeling about this, where it's really hard to completely go against it, right, and be upset about it because you look at the guy's resume and it's completely, unequivocally unassailable. The guy had a stretch, I believe, from I think it was 99 – 1998 through like 2007, he had a 10 year stretch where he averaged like 94, 95 wins a season. Had he knows what one, he's doing. Yeah, he's won World Series. He's taken, you know, a team like the Cardinals and turned it into an institution. Because let's be honest, you know, in the 90s and the 80s, it wasn't exactly the St. Louis Cardinals the way it was. I mean, he really fortified that, put the Oakland A's on the map. Hasn't coached since 2011. That's pretty much where it ends correct like that's the part that you can't knock him for everything else is completely up in the air in my opinion and now a lot of critical questions remain right one who's on his staff and who's his bench coach obviously you're going to need to bring someone in we have um, a lot of players that speak Spanish a lot of Latin players on our team you're going to have to bring in someone that's bilingual that can be able to communicate easily with the players it's a given it's not even a question it has to happen the other one is and we were already talking about on the text was Really curious to see who the bench coach is because I'm interested to see what the length of the deal is. You know, does he just come in for one, two, maybe? Oh, God, can he stick around for three years? You know, that's the over-under right now. Can he even make it to season three? And can he take us to the promised land and also maybe help usher in a transition that would allow a younger successor who gets a chance to get his hands on the organization and these players and be able to take them to some other place? Typically, he was the guy in the early 2000s, who was leading the charge on the analytics. You know, when, when Billy Bean was doing Moneyball in Oakland, Tony LaRusso was hitting the, the pitcher eighth. He was doing a lot of stuff that I think was going against the grain of baseball at the time, which is now in practice now. He has said recently that he thinks the analytics are overwhelming the game. And I think this may be the reason why he got the job, where he's been this guy who was kind of at the forefront of analytics, and now he's looking at it, and he's saying that, We've taken some of the flesh and blood out of the game, the observational scouting, the, the way that you lean on your scouts and your coaches and your managers and your, I'm sorry, your general managers in the organization to find talent and then usher it through and bring it to fruition on the field. And that part kind of stuck out to me a little bit of, I think he's actually someone who might be trying to find more of that balance of, we just saw Kevin Cash on the Rays pull out, you know, Blake Snell after five and two thirds innings and he's cruising. We talk all the time about how Ricky Renteria completely screwed up the bullpen this season. And maybe that's what the White Sox need. I'm, I'm spinning it optimist for a second here that maybe the White Sox need a guy who can has such a feel for the game that he doesn't need to on, honestly look at the splits every single time some sort of crucial situation comes up. And he knows just by the feel and the cadence and reading players on the field, he'll be able to make the right decisions. That's about as far as I can spin it optimism-wise because, man, major swing, big-time name, have no idea how much he has left. And I'll just say this for Rick Hahn. If this is a Jerry Reinsdorf hire for Rick Hahn, Jerry better open up the, the checkbook and let Rick Hahn do whatever he wants in the offseason because this feels like a Jerry move. And now maybe the other side of the shoe is Hahn gets to spend some money on some real players. And that gets me excited. 
I love that take, Joey. That's getting me excited as a Sox fan. I can only imagine the interview process included the question, let's just say hypothetically, Tony, that uh, it's game three of a three-game series. Over under nine pitchers, how many do you think we should use in a game? And he probably said under, and they said hired, okay? Because that, that's the baseline as of now. I mean, I feel like we can only go up. I feel like – I because my question to you was going to be, 2011, we're now entering a 2021 season we're talking about. How much has the game changed in your eyes? But I kind of like what you were saying. That's right. Tony was kind of on the forefront of new age baseball, let's call it. So, I mean, maybe the learning curve isn't that steep. Hopefully. He's always had an eye for talent. He He has turned around clubs. But it's like anything else. Any trade. You know, sports, <laughs> carpentry, doesn't matter. If you're out of it for... 10 years can you really be at the top of the game can you really be as sharp as someone who is doing a day in day out for the last six years and that's it you hit it right on the head of the day in day out that's the big question the other question i think they asked him in the interviewing process was tony you're trying to sign on to aol and you're trying to dial up and someone else is on the phone what do you do Um, (laughs) but no all kidding aside you know, and that's the part is the day in, day out, the minutia, the grind. I mean, let's be honest. I think we're all hoping that safety and health provided that teams are going to be traveling all across the country next year. There might even be fans in the stands. We'll see what happens. But this is, sure. this is something that you have to contemplate. So the fact that he'll be in and out of hotels and, and managing every single day, that's going to be a, a question. In terms of him not being in the game, he has been in the game since 2011. He's had taken on multiple consulting jobs. One of them with the White Sox, most recently the Angels. He is still in the game, talking to people and scouts, looking at players. Is he on it every single day? You know, this is the Phil Jackson question. You know, when they got hired for the Knicks, he was a guy that didn't want to travel and didn't want to scout because he's just older, and that's a yeah. part of the job. Like, can Tony Larusa at his age be able to handle all the workload that comes with the position? But I will also say that he's a guy who's in. He's been in that inner circle where. He, He has a close relationship with Nick Saban, close relationship with Bill Belichick. It seems like those three guys or, you know, maybe a couple other dudes, they all get together. They have lunch together and talk about the game and talk about winning on a, on a grander, broader philosophical scale. I'll be honest, that kind of interests me a little bit. And maybe Tony La Russa knows what it's going to take for him personally to get through the season. And I think we are all also forgetting something. This White Sox team, is crazy talented big time we just had ricky renteria as our coach and we still won 35 games in a 60 game span yeah right i mean honestly there is an aspect of this of just roll the ball out and let these dudes go the the fact that larissa has to come in and you know put his stamp on it and change the team and I don't think it's really necessarily that case. No. I think it's going to be about when they lose eight games in a row or six games in a row, Tony LaRusso has got to step in and make sure that the, you know, the, boat keeps, the boat keeps going down the stream and that doesn't capsize. I think making decisions with the bullpen and, and all that kinds of stuff, I think that's going to be something that's to keep an eye on because Ricky was so bad at that. I like the hire. I think my follow-up question for you is, 
you know, Tony La Russa, old jokes, all that aside, where were you on A.J. Hinch and Alex Cora, the specter of cheating, you know, whether you land on they were, you know, Hinch specifically was complicit in that or not. They were definitely coming with some baggage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you have liked, would you have liked A.J. Hinch as a hire? Would you have gotten excited about that? Or would that have also come with the small caveat of, ugh, he's just coming from this Houston situation in a one-year suspension? Yeah, I think they all had warts. I mean, every, everybody we were considering had warts. I mean, if anything, I think Chicago is just trying to stay out of the wrong kind of limelight uh, as far as headlines and that kind of attention. Yes, this is like a weird like bit of attention because it's Tony La Russa. Um, but to me, this is like very on brand for the White Sox. Okay, Adam Dunn, Ken Griffey Jr., Manny Ramirez, like talk about getting the name years too late like we love doing that in this ball club like this is what we do with players might as well do it with coaches robin uh, ventura literally got a phone call and they're like hey you're coaching the white Sox," and he's yeah. like i'm coaching I, I am yeah all right yeah i mean well it's a big we'll see right yeah i, I tell you what this regardless this upcoming spring training, I was going to be watching this team like a hawk. And now I'm really, now I'm really curious to just start seeing how this thing unfolds. And if you're going to not like this La Russa move, and trust me, we're going to be making jokes about this for months, and it's going to be yeah. a ton of fun. The move does signify to me that the White Sox clearly are going for it, but also I think that they're going to be spending money in free agency. I think they're going to be, you know, the Trevor Bowers and bringing in, you know, some pieces and some guys that maybe necessarily wouldn't necessarily be attracted to the White Sox in the past. I definitely see that as a scenario now because there's nothing that hiring Tony La Russa says more than we are going for it and we want to win a World Series, not in five years, this year or next year. Like literally, two-year window with La Russa, it's time to win a World Series and that seems to be what it symbolizes for the White Sox fans. And that's what should have people excited. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Let's get into some fantasy football, Dave. The reason why we were here uh, today in the first place, had to get some White Sox business out of the way. Don't but mind it. Dave and the good listeners, remember uh, in the preseason, we hopped down, we gave out our top tens at every single position in fantasy football. We're coming up on week eight. We're getting close to halfway through the season. And I think it's maybe time to go back, look at some of our picks, look at some of our decisions, see how right and wrong we were, and maybe make some predictions for the good people to keep an eye on in the second half. Dave, let's just start here. You know, I was looking over our top 10 lists. Uh, it's a mixed bunch. It's a mixed bag on our picks. Hey, you know, Joey, if it was, if we could predict the future, we'd be filthy rich, my friend. I stand by a lot of our decisions. I think some of the players we were real wrong on, we were maybe right about certain situations. You know, it's, I'd say this year of all the fantasy years, and I feel like we say that every year though, but I mean, just with no preseason, not really being able to see people, obviously we're seeing that effect on rookies more than ever. It was a real brutal first round. I mean, if you're in a fantasy league right now and you're not hurting due to injuries or just total duds, like 
good on you, but that means you probably just own Alvin Kamara. Let's be honest. Like, who else got out of that first round without feeling horrible at this point in the season? It's it, it's just a it's a nightmare. It's an absolute yeah, nightmare factory. It, it's one thing to have injuries, but we're talking about injuries to like premier players, guys that you were taking not just in the first round, but I mean, Christian McCaffrey's went on injury reserve. He was the number first one pick overall. in all of fantasy. So let's breathe. Let's kind of breeze through some of our top 10 picks from the preseason. And then we'll kind of dive into the second half a little bit. Let's just start at the top. Let's start at quarterbacks. You know, Kyler Murray right now is the number one quarterback in fantasy football. Uh, Dave, I, you had him at, I believe was at number six. Mm-hmm. I had him at number seven. Um, you know, we were, I think the kind of decision here was I was, I was still kind of pumping on Matt Ryan. I just thought that was old faithful, old consistency. He started off great to begin the season, completely fell off the map as the Falcons have done things that I don't even think were humanly possible in terms of blowing leads. Let's just talk about Kyler Murray real quick. He's been awesome. DeAndre Hopkins has been amazing. Do you think just in general right now, I mean, you got Mahomes and Lamar and a bunch of other guys, Russell Wilson, do you think he can hang on to that number one spot or it's going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a race, a little bit of passing the baton the rest of the way. Yeah, I think it's going to shift between Russ Wilson. Maybe someone else jumps up there. But look, the one thing I was very wrong about, about Kyler Murray, is Kyler Murray as a passer. Now, that's what improved. That, that was the knock. I mean, that's why I couldn't have him as a top three option. We talked about, you know, obviously he's going to be using his legs. Obviously, that's a fantasy asset. But watching him a lot last year because I owned him a lot last year I was worried about his passing skills and he missed a lot of throws last year but we were all excited about them and Cliff Kingsbury and that and it feels like they're just now clicking and the linchpin is really DeAndre Hopkins holding it all together I was I'll be the first to admit I was wrong about DeAndre Hopkins this year there's so many stats to back up why a wide receiver going to a new team just doesn't work out in that first year. But there should have been a caveat unless it's the best wide receiver playing in football right now. And watching DeAndre Hopkins with my eyes, he's the best wide receiver in football. So, yes, that can absolutely elevate a team. Christian Kirk's coming on now. The running game is an absolute dumpster fire which we'll get to i'm sure when we get to our bust section in the running backs i can't wait to talk about him but look kyla murray looks like the real deal and he may be the best rushing quarterback in the nfl and it may not be close he moves like the shiftiest of running backs makes people miss all the time and What I thought was going to happen is Drake, who had 16 tutties last year, or was on pace for 16 tutties, rather, was going to have another big touchdown year. Not the case. Kyler Murray is the goal line back, and we know what kind of fantasy value that holds, i.e. Cam Newton of years past. Yeah, it's a great call. And just looking at our top tens, we both obviously had Mahomes at the top, Lamar Jackson. We both had Dak at number three. Let's be honest, Dak is still in the top 10 right now, and he's been gone for, I think, two or three weeks now. We were not wrong about Dak Prescott. We were very right. We had him very high, and he was on pace. He he could be the number one right now. I think we were very right about that, obviously. Gruesome injury. Feel horrible for the guy. Hope he gets paid. Uh, You know, really respect that guy. 
And I think we're pretty close on a lot of these players, Joey, in, in the quarterback ranks. I mean, we, we were pretty high on Deshaun Watson. We said, even though the surrounding cast isn't great, he's still going to put up fantasy numbers. And we said he usually has a slow start. And then he starts putting it together. It's been really ugly. But just like Jamison Winston finishing as the number four fantasy quarterback last year, it doesn't have to be pretty. Deshaun Watson's putting up 30 points every other game still. And he's getting yeah, it done. In the land of points, fantasy is blind in terms That's of right. uh, what, what's happening on the field there. And I just think some of the, you know, we were, it, let's go to the back end just real quick and look. I mean, we both had Carson Wentz in our top 10. So far, I believe he's number eight or number nine. He's holding steady in that particular area. With Josh Allen. With nobody to throw to. <laughs> but, but Dave, you brought up such a great point. I mean, the guy is two touchdowns in the bank almost every single week. And when you have players, like, look at Matt Ryan. One week he'll get you 35. The next week he'll get you 10. You know, that sort of evens itself out. But when you're playing fantasy games, that can really crush you on a week-to-week basis. Those can turn into losses. And when Wentz, Wentz gets you 20 points every single week, it just gives you that floor to have something to work with. I, both, I think we both can honestly say that Tom Brady's been a little bit better than we thought he was going to be, especially over the last three weeks. My question for you, though, is let's talk about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, for a lot of people, was a second-round pick. For some, maybe even a first-round pick. We had him at number two on our top ten list. He hasn't been bad, but he just hasn't been great, hasn't been fantastic. I'm kind of looking at that team and asking questions about their weapons and their skill set. I thought Mark Andrews was going to have a breakout season in the tight end category. That hasn't necessarily happened. What do you see from Lamar Jackson? And more specifically, do you think he can have a huge second half to bump into that, you know, that top three category among quarterbacks? Or it just isn't going to shake out like that? Look, I don't want to make the obvious comparison here, but we've seen this before. Michael Vick, huge, huge, huge season. Next season, dud. RG3, huge, huge, huge season. Next season, dud. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick, huge, huge, huge season. Very similar. These quarterbacks that have crazy high rushing years, it's so hard to duplicate. Defenses figure it out in the offseason. And look, I think the big difference is the Ravens' D has stepped up from last year. And they haven't really needed to run the ball 50 times with Lamar Jackson. They have three capable running backs, which is very frustrating to fantasy owners in the running back category. But Lamar Jackson just hasn't had to do a lot to win. I mean, he's broken, let's see, 20-plus points in three games. And he scored 15 points versus Kansas City. That's the lowest his floor has ever been. And he's like the poster child for me for why you don't draft a quarterback early. I mean, I think we're even kind of realizing that with Patrick Mahomes. There isn't a quarterback in the first two rounds that is worth drafting that is truly going to win you your league every week. And Lamar Jackson just kind of fits the bill of a guy you probably, I mean, in our back home league, Joe, or, you know, in our LA league, he went in the first round. He did. He went in the first round. I mean, people just thought like this guy is going to win me the game every single week on his back. And instead you're in this really tricky situation where 
there's probably better quarterbacks on the waiver wire from week to week, but you're never going to start them over Lamar Jackson because he just leaves you going, but he is Lamar Jackson. So it's almost like worst case scenario. I'd rather have a quarterback that just stunk it up who I can just get rid of and start Teddy Bridgewater or something. And this, these are all great points you're bringing up where the Ravens just aren't bludgeoning people and they just don't really seem that interested in it. Like they're a great team. They're a Super Bowl contender. And yet Lamar Jackson has been putting up the fantasy numbers that he did last year. And the same thing with Mahomes, where it's just kind of like, hey, we don't need to go out there with our hair on fire and rack up the score to win games. We can go out there. I mean, the Chiefs have already won, I think, a couple of games, what, like 27 to nine or something, you know, running the ball, just doing you know, a couple of plays here and there. And it's just a funny fantasy conversation where you've got Lamar Jackson. He's just skyrocketing, you know, last year, just completely ripping through everybody. Well, you got to always the next year account for that and be like, well, is the guy just going to keep trying to just play this style or is it going to become maybe a little bit more refined? And dare I say, he gets so talented that he doesn't need to do all that stuff all the time. That can be bad for fantasy teams. You're seeing it with Kyler Murray right now. This was a guy, and honestly, Dak Prescott, and the outlier on this is Russell Wilson because he's been a while, around a while, but now he's finally, like, getting that chance to, like, really, like, he's the guy with the ball in his hands. But for a guy like Kyler Murray, it's like, sort of like, this is his time. This is his team. Their, their defense is okay, so they have to keep scoring points. They have to keep pushing the envelope all the time. And that's when you're going to see with quarterbacks, that's why you see, you know, a dude who's not on a great team, but Justin Herbert's a guy that's also a dude that's like, keep, keep throwing, man. Keep throwing. Got to keep scoring. Got to keep going. And that's what you look for in fantasy. So it sort of changes a little bit, like, just the perception of what you think these best teams are going to look like versus what a fantasy team actually does or a fantasy player does on a year-to-year basis. And I don't know. I mean, Lamar Jackson – would I go out there and trade for him? I would, but guess what? I don't think the, I think the value is going to be so high. You're going to have to pay like a buck 25 to get him Cause someone's going to be like, like you said, I drafted him in the first round. You better give me your best running back or whatever. Give me a, you know, your number two running back and your number two wide receiver pricey. And like you said, if you pick up someone who's actually doing better than him in fancy, you feel all guilty. Cause you're like, I got Lamar Jackson on my bench right now. Should I really yeah. be doing that? Yeah. And it's just a tough place to be in. And that's, I think one of the areas where, I, you know, we'll see what happens in the second half, but from a fantasy perspective, Lamar Jackson, a bit of a bust. I'd say he's the poster child for, for bust as far as quarterbacks go. Let's move over to wide receivers, Dave. This one is going to get a little bit uglier. Um, with our top 10 list, it wasn't like we picked bad players. It's just that sometimes with wide receivers, they have different kinds of years. We've had a ton of injuries. Let's start with, we both started with Michael Thomas at one. Let's kind of blow past that. He's been injured. He's fighting with Sean Payton. He still isn't on the field. He had a high ankle sprain, came back, and now he has a hamstring, which is going to keep him out for two more weeks. So that one's a total burn. He was a top six pick, top seven pick, complete, utter whiff. But Dave, I want to say your number two pick is interesting, and I want to talk about him in the second half coming up. You picked Devontae Adams as the number two wide receiver. He's been hurt. He's had a hamstring issue. But, dude, he's already had two games where he's had 13-plus receptions. He's coming off a game where he had 196 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, this guy, if he can put together a second half where he stays on the field, is going to be a monster. I think it was a really great pick by you. I think 
when I made this pick, I said it would not surprise me if he finishes as the number one overall fantasy wide receiver, and I still stand by that. I think that will prove to be true. Even missing games, he's going to put up enough points where he will still finish as the number one. I mean, just had all the elements, right? Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball, not the best defense, and uh, not anybody else to throw it to. I mean, Alan Lazard was their best number two option. He obviously has been on IR, not a lot of other trusty options. And I thought he would just lead the league in targets. And oh my gosh, is he? Maybe minus Tyler Lockett, who had, I believe, 45 targets in one game. He's still catching passes right now. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that was like a no-brainer. And I actually took Devontae Adams in our keeper league and he has certainly been winning me some games. Yeah. If the dude can stay on the field, he is an unstoppable force in a season when Aaron Rodgers is playing better football than he did. I think in the past two seasons, you know, I think he's kind of sort of back on that hot streak a little bit. I had Julio Jones at number two. That's looking pretty dumb. You had him at number three as well. There's just a concept where, of course, he's a walking questionable. He has had one monster huge game this season. But moving forward in the second half, I got to be honest, I'm starting to feel like the prime years of Julio Jones are kind of starting to slip away just a little bit. I just don't feel like he's moving as smoothly. And I'm just not seeing the speed that maybe I have in seasons past. What do you think on Julio Jones in the, in the second half of this fantasy season? Is this a guy that you would trade for or a guy that you would try and trade and get out of it and see if you can get value somewhere else? I think I might try and trade out of it depending on who else I had. I think at the beginning of this season, I said this is going to be the year that they pass the torch to Ridley. Everybody in the fantasy community was over all over Ridley, so it's not like this was my specific call, but he was my man to see this year as far as wide receivers. We've seen this before with the Falcons. This is who Julio Jones, this is how Julio Jones became Julio Jones, right? It was Roddy White's job. And then Julio Jones was the young gun. And then that one year happened where Roddy White kind of lost the step and it became Julio Jones was the number one. And I think this is the year we're seeing Calvin Ridley is becoming the number one. Who's number three Jones. right now in fantasy right now. Among absolutely receivers. crushing so. it. He's paid dividends as far as where you have drafted him. I love owning Calvin Ridley this year. And look, Julio Jones has always been the guy who's questionable all week and, and then plays through it. He's always been that guy. This year he missed his first game in like however many games. He just doesn't look right out there. And I think ultimately – Matt Ryan has taken three steps back. He just looks brutal. He looks like he's getting up there. He's getting demolished back there. I don't think Todd Gurley has opened up the passing game like they thought he might. It just seems like the Falcons are exactly what their record is, which is a bunch of losers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) No, I just... I I just don't know where Julio Jones is going to fall. He's going to have at least two games, we know, with like 215 yards and no touchdowns. Those are coming, but it's going to be so hard to predict. Yeah, I would not trade for him if I had him on my fantasy roster. I would probably think about just testing the waters and seeing if you can get a nice combo package back, a wide receiver and a running back that are startable players. 
and have the other person think that they're getting a number one wide receiver because you're right, he's going to pop one more game or so, but I just don't see the consistency. And again, he's always an injury away from being off the field. Dave, before we get off of wide receivers, let's start with busts and then we'll finish with hits. Let's talk about two guys. I had, uh, let's talk about Odell Beckham and Juju Smith-Schuster. In my top 10, I had Juju at 13. I had Odell at 11. You had Juju at 9. Odell at 11. And Odell's now done for the season. Can't really do anything about that. Wasn't really great to begin with. You know, who's been the bigger bust thus far in fantasy between Juju and Odell? I think it's Juju. And I think because... It's crazy what's happened. Yeah, you look at the Browns. And Odell is definitely a product of his team. You're like, this team is like so hot, cold. Is there a more hot, cold quarterback than Baker Mayfield? Basically looks incredible against the Bengals and then nobody else. And then other times you're like, he should lose his job. And then the next game you're like, okay, this guy's pretty good. He's a playmaker. Juju is not a product of his team because the Steelers are rolling. The offense is crushing it. The Steelers will put up... 30 points in a game. And besides week one, where Juju fooled you into thinking he was back with two touchdowns, he looked like the Juju of old. All of a sudden, Joey, as of now, Juju Smith-Schuster has a lower A dot, which for those out there, average depth of target, worse than Julian Edelman. Like the poster child for short passes it's now Juju Smith-Schuster. Kamara, Alvin Kamara has the same A dot as Juju Smith-Schuster. It's insane. Like, he just has all of a sudden become the five-yard, over-the-middle guy who's going to get tackled for six, seven yards, and that's it. And, oh, yeah, we always forget. Wide receivers grow on trees in Pittsburgh – They just snag them out of the air and they become stars. But again, like we talked with the Falcons, Joey, this is what the Steelers do, okay? It was Mike Wallace, then it was Antonio Brown, then it was Juju Smith-Schuster. Welcome, Deontay Johnson, and now Chase Claypool, baby. We wanted him on our Bears so damn bad because he was an absolute freak. That's proving to be true. And it's like, Juju is like, is he droppable? Like, are you going to be able to predict when he falls in the end zone? And if he doesn't, how do you feel about this? It's a really tough call because it's almost like the Steelers treat him like Heinz Ward, or like you said, Julian Edelman in the offense. How did he become the super or the star receiver on the team? Like he did. Well, he did it by catching deep balls and going deep. So there's a question there. And both of them aren't great where Juju is a great, teammate and he's a really good pass blocker for a wide receiver and he can make some really tough catches they use him as a decoy a ton but the question remains is is he dealing with some health issues where he's just trying to get through the week where maybe his his speed isn't tip top and Ben Roethlisberger's numbers down the field throwing the ball deep are not pretty right now and that used to be something that he was able to do. Can he improve upon it? We'll see. But those two things aren't mixing very well. So you're starting to ask yourself questions of, you know, Juju's not really getting the targets. And that week one when he had two touchdowns, I think he only had 60 or 70-something yards. It wasn't like he was all over the field catching passes. So I'm glad that he got touchdowns. And that's going to be the real interesting thing is 
I would like to think that Juju can be playable because he'll be able to get some touchdowns in the red zone. But I just think like, you know, eight catches for 150 yards. I just don't think he is that guy this season, especially with Big Ben at quarterback. And if they are going to go deep, he goes deep to Chase Claypool because he's huge, lanky, can go up and get it, even if the ball maybe is underthrown a touch with a little too much air or maybe isn't exactly the most accurate thing in the world. And, you know, just to be fair, I, you know, I dropped Chase Claypool on the, pre, on the preview pod. And I, Juju right now, I think he's tough to trade, and I wouldn't trade for him, but I would hang on to him. He's definitely a matchup play, and I would consider him as a flex option probably moving forward in the second half of the season. Dave, let's talk about some of the steals, and then we're going to move on from wide receivers. I think we both made a really nice call on Kenny Galladay. I had him at six. You had him at seven. That was a touch higher than other people had him going into the season. When he is on the field, him and Matt Stafford, they make beautiful music together. They really make – I mean, the dude has back-to-back 100-yard receiving games. I think the best is still yet to come. Lions have a pretty good matchup this week, too, as well. Um, I have Tyler Lockett here at 16, A.J. Brown at 17. 17, A.J. Brown in the second half. Looks like that's going to probably work out. We both had Adam Thielen in the top 10. Dude's been an on-again, off-again, but he's still catching touchdowns even on the off games. I think he has six or seven touchdowns now on the season. Um, I would just want to hear from you. I, I do have DK Metcalf at number nine, which, uh, which blew your hair back a little bit yeah, when right. the season began. But I do want to hear about who, who's your favorite steal also at wide receiver this year. Maybe not in the top ten, but what was a great value pick that's working out great for you as well? Absolutely give you props where you deserve it, my friend. DK was a great call. I absolutely roasted you for that call in our pod. But I said I loved him. I just didn't want to pay a top 10 price for him. I own a lot of DK because where you were getting him was was an absolute steal. So great call on your part. I got to give the biggest steal to my man, Will Fuller. With a huge caveat is that so far he's played every game. Will you get 16 out of him? Maybe. I was getting Will Fuller as like my wide receiver four or five this year, and he is currently the wide receiver eight overall. Besides a week two goose egg, here are his point totals. 16, 13, 21, 13, 23, 11. Double-digit points in the bag. I mean, he was a steal. Like, he, you know, it was always about injuries. That's why he got the discount on him. But he's become a true number one on a Texans offense that is just starting to find its mojo in the passing game. Again, from a fantasy perspective, not fun to watch in real life football, but Brandon cooks is really developing into the number two that he is on every team he goes on. He's just a great player. We knew Randall Cobb was going to be great. This is why we like Deshaun Jackson or Deshaun Jackson, Deshaun Watson. No one likes Deshaun Jackson. Tony LaRusso is like Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> I know give him. To I me. know him. I know him. <laughs> Um, he was yeah, good when I, I mean, was managing. <laughs> I think uh, Will Fuller's absolutely in the conversation for biggest steal. Joey, he's, who do you got? He, he's such a funny. He's such a funny player from a fantasy perspective. Of you're you're totally right. Whenever he's in the game, he does awesome stuff. He's either catching a touchdown or he's posting 100 yards. But the problem has been for him that he can't stay healthy and he can't stay on the field. Where it's gotten to the point where it's happened for several seasons in a row. Where personally, I just felt like it was a wasted draft pick. You know, uh, Keenan Allen, for in the beginning part of his career, suffered from sort of the same fate. Really great player. Can't have him on my team because he's always hurt. Well, this year, you know, it's all lined up perfectly. 
And I think everyone's really just underestimated his talent based on those injuries. And it's such a weird, you know, we just talked about Julio Jones being a walking questionable. He still gets drafted in the top 10. Will Fuller is so talented, but for whatever reason was able to get out, you know, fall out of that space because of his health injury. And that was just a great call on your part to kind of pick that out. The two guys that I've been looking at, and I want to ask you in the end, who do you think is going to have a better second half? But just been really impressed with the value that Robbie Anderson had and what he's been able to do in Carolina. He's completely turned into the number one wide receiver there for Teddy Bridgewater. You know, he's got speed. He's a home run hitting threat. But, man, he is so fast out of his breaks on those quick little slants. He makes it so easy on Teddy Bridgewater to get the ball to, get the ball to him. He's sucking up targets. He's racking up receptions. Every single week, it seems like, especially in a PPR league, every single week he's good for about 14, 15, 16 points. And Terry McLaurin, Scary Terry, your boy from last season. You loved him last year. You loved him even more this year. The Red, the I'm sorry, the Washington football, I almost said it, the Washington football teams, you know, the quarterback situation's been a mess, but the dude is still producing. That is a testament to his talent. Out of those two guys moving forward, who do you think is going to have a bigger second half? You know, who would you probably perhaps, you know, who would you rather trade for? You know, who do you like the most out of those two guys? I love them both. They're both been absolute steals, especially Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson was probably on your waiver wire after your draft was finished. He is the number two in receiving yards right now. Robbie Anderson, number two in receiving yards. That's insane. He's the number 10 wide receiver overall. But, Joey, I got to say Terry McLaurin is going to be my trade target right now. Here's why. He is still produced as a top 15 wide receiver. Here's been his cornerback matchups so far he's faced. Darius Slay, Patrick Peterson, Jalen Ramsey, and Bradbury. Possibly four of the top six cornerbacks right now. That's brutal. That was his opening schedule, and he still produced, and half of those were with Dwayne Haskins behind center. And Alex Smith one day. <laughs> Kyle Allen and him, look, we've seen this with with DJ Moore, Kyle Allen can get it to just one receiver, and that's all we need him to do. And that one receiver is going to be Terry McLaurin. The second half stretch gets a lot easier for Terry McLaurin and the Washington football team. He has some real nice matchups coming up, and I think he's really going to start to shine. And if you're in a league right now and you're hurting at wide receiver, I would maybe throw out an offer to a Terry McLaurin uh, owner right now who probably is going, I mean, he hasn't really been that great. I spent a fourth or fifth round pick on him. Maybe they're frustrated. Maybe they just want to stop watching Washington football team games. Don't blame them. But one man's trash is another man's treasure. I like scary Terry. Final, final hit on the wide receivers. Um, want to ask you about rookie wide receivers. I'm just going to throw a bunch of names out to you. Who are you yeah. buying in the most on in the second half of the season? We got CeeDee Lamb, we got Justin Jefferson, we've got Jerry Judy, we've got Henry Ruggs, we've got Jalen Rager possibly coming back with the Eagles. We got Chase Claypool. Might be missing a couple, so throw in some if you think of them. But out of that batch of rookies, who do you like the most heading towards the second half? To me, this is a no-brainer slam dunk, Justin Jefferson. The dude, after week one, if you take away week one, he has been a top 15 wideout. He looks the part. I mean, if you close your eyes, you're like, that's Stefan Diggs. Like, nothing has changed in the Vikings offense. It seems so easy in the offseason to make that connection. It was like they shipped off Stefan Diggs, and they got one of the best 
slot wide receivers in college. So it seemed like, oh, he's just going to step right into that Stefan Diggs role. And a lot of people were like, eh, not so fast. Not going to be that, that, that easy of a transition. Uh, it has been. He's made the leap. He's a pro football wide receiver. It looks like he's been playing for years. He's, he's also not just a slot guy. He is burning dudes down the seam. And again, hasn't been pretty. Kirk Cousins looks like super confused last year. Can't wait for them to spend too much money on Sam Darnold in the offseason. It's going to be great for the Bears. But Justin Jefferson looks the part. He's been producing like a top 15 wide receiver. And I think by the end of the season, we might have both Thielen and Jefferson in the top 10. Because the defense can't seem to, to stop anybody. They're constantly playing from behind. And in the fourth quarter, he can get you to 100 yards alone just in those 15 minutes. Well, and that's been the thing. Kirk Cousins has been getting garbage yards. And, yeah, Justin Jefferson, three 100-yard games out of his last four games played. The dude is awesome. I did forget to mention Brandon Ayuk, a dude who I think is definitely on the rise Super in San fun. Francisco. Super fun. Is he going to be a high ceiling guy? Not so sure, but he can definitely pop and get you a pretty decent number. I'm with you on Justin Jefferson completely. I do think Chase Claypool, I love him. I drafted him, uh, and everyone was like, who is that dude? Because you had to scan on down to number 200. I do think he's going to be a little hit or miss in the second half of the season. I don't know how consistent he's going to be. He's definitely going to be a little touchdown dependent for my taste. But this is a really interesting situation. It's something that fantasy owners need to take a look at. The situation with C.D. Lamb is so important when you're looking at the broad aspect of fantasy football because the dude with Dak Prescott in the beginning of the season was getting a ton of targets and making plays. The dude is mega talented. But if you don't have a quarterback that can throw you the football and operate it properly, you're not going to score fantasy points. It's gotten to the point where C.D. Lamb – was going to be in the bidding for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and now I don't even think he's playable in fantasy. And it just speaks to sometimes when you've got a guy in your roster and you're like, this dude sucks. He's not any good. And then the next year you go, I'm not drafting him. I don't care if he's in a new situation or he has a new quarterback. I don't like him. Well, guess what? Some of these dudes are actually really talented, and sometimes it has to do with other elements and components within an offense that prevents guys from being the amazing players that they can be. This is, this is it with CeeDee Lamb, where we've gotten a taste of what he's capable of, and now with a bad quarterback, he just can't score fantasy points. You, you can't play him. And I just think it's like an interesting little bedtime story to tell fantasy football teams, you know, moving forward in the next year about, you know, a guy can be super talented, but the situation has to be right. And with Justin Jefferson and the Vikings are going to be down by a bunch of points in the fourth quarter, Kirk Cousins starts slinging the rock. That is a good fantasy situation. Joey, what do you say we move on to running backs? Because I'm just about to ask you, what the heck do you do if you own Zeke? Um, you have to play him because you can't trade him and don't trade for him. But it is it has gotten so brutal. To be fair, he I didn't even really think he had that great of a start to the season. I you know, I don't I didn't see really him didn't. really I didn't really see him running hard. He's been making mistakes, he's been putting the football on the mat all season long. But still, even in those situations, the dude is just a guaranteed like 14, 15, 16 fantasy points in the bank. And moving forward, it's just getting worse, right? Their offensive line's no good. Who knows what they do this week at quarterback? They probably roll with Danucci in. Doesn't seem like they're really interested in bringing in another quarterback. 
And this just could slowly get worse and worse. And the name recognition is where fantasy teams have to be really careful because you go, hey, this is Zeke Elliott. I drafted him third overall. I have to play this dude. I'm still in that mode right now where I have to play him. But, man, who knows what happens in five or six weeks. It's been brutal as a Zeke owner. This is the first year I've ever owned Zeke. Literally, I was so excited to finally get, like, the third pick in a draft. I was like, finally, I'm going to own Zeke. To me, he was the safest running back available. And he's just breaking my heart. Like, and, the and, fumble game, that's on him. Oh, God. That, that wasn't they literally, Dalton. They, he's, he's got a ton of guaranteed money. He's one of the best offensive players that they have on the team. And they literally had to sit him down for a drive because he kept fumbling. Like, at some point, you're just like, all right, man, you have to take a seat. That's how bad it got. You know what else it is, Joey, is coming into the season, in my head, I would put the Cowboys offensive line in the top three. That's where I saw them. But that has not been the case. Their offensive line looks pretty brutal. They're pretty banged up. A lot of moving parts there now. And, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to be throwing all the time because their quarterback is constantly going to be turning over the ball. I mean, I love that he's an Italian stallion. But, uh it just does not look good for the Cowboys. For Danucci. Any... Danucci. Well, speaking Danucci. of not speaking of not looking bad and being brutal, um, forgive me. I, I I was trying to find your top ten running back list. I couldn't pull it up right away, but I'm just going to read off mine real quick. And let's just say it's not about me being right or wrong. It's just look at the injuries. I had number one Christian McCaffrey ended up on injured reserve. Number two Saquon Barkley out for the season. Zeke, we just mentioned him putting the football on the floor, and now their quarterback's done. He's been compromised. Number four, Gal Dalvin Cook. Pretty decent season, but has also been injured at times. Number five, Alvin Kamara, the only guy left standing and still amazing. He's, he's fine. Number six, I had Austin Eckler. He's on injured reserve. Josh Jacobs hasn't really totally worked out. Derrick Henry, he's been fine. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a great game, but also it's going to have some maybe rookie bumps and bruises. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Tons of touchdowns, battled injuries. Miles Sanders, injuries. Chubb, not playing. Kenyon Drake, bust. Bust. You know, the list just kind of goes on and on. I mean, the, the toughest part, and, and that's the thing when you enter a fantasy football draft, is you have to get your running backs right. And those are typically the first two or three picks you make in the draft. And just so many misses here, just based on injuries, man. It's just been, it's been crazy. It's really hard. I mean, last year I won two leagues by going running back, running back, running back. And only because all three of those running backs stayed healthy is why I was able to walk away with the championship. This year I went in saying the same thing. And in some leagues I missed on all three running backs, Joe. It's really tough. I was in the back half of most of my drafts and that's when things started to get murky. When you're looking at the Joe Mixons, the Chubbs, the Ecklers, the Jacobs, the Drakes. To be honest, out of all those guys, I thought Drake was one of the safer options because I looked at all of those teams and went, I think the Cardinals are going to be the best offense. I was correct about that. I said, they're going to have a lot of goal line opportunities. I was correct about that. What I was wrong about is, Kyler Murray's going to take those goal line carries and Drake is washed. And the walking boot in the preseason, I think is proving to be way more of a concern, but we did talk about it on the running back show. 
my favorite sneaky guys towards the end of the draft. I said, don't leave your draft without getting Chase Edmonds. I think the gauntlet is about to be passed, Joey. I own Chase Edmonds in every league I'm in, and it's finally going to pay off. I think he's going to be a league winner. I think he's the guy, second half of the season, people are going to go, oh, man, I wish I had Chase Edmonds. He's going to get the start next week. And when Kenyon Drake comes back, he is not going to have a job because I think Chase Edmonds is about to ball the F out for this second half. Yeah, I own Chase Edmonds in a league last season, and he was unbelievable until he got injured. I really thought that the dude runs hard. He's super versatile. He's crazy athletic. Let's talk about a couple other steals, and let's just think of this from a second-half scenario. This is a guy that I like a whole lot, Jonathan Taylor. A guy that started off the season wasn't the starter. We're going to give it to Marlon back, tore his Achilles, but he's really taking that job and taking it over. Some people go out and get Naheem Hines, thinking that it's going to be some sort of a, a split shared committee situation. It hasn't been that. It's Jonathan Taylor's show. Colts fans that I've talked to haven't been especially impressed by him, which kind of blows my mind a little bit. Maybe they're asking a little bit too much from the rookie, but do you like him heading towards the second half and maybe a couple other running backs that you like in the second half of the season? Yeah, he's actually my number one trade target. Uh, spoiler alert, in our couples league, Joey, I have Zeke, and I'm trying to get Jonathan Taylor away from that owner and dangle Zeke because I'd honestly rather have Jonathan Taylor than Zeke rest of season. Jonathan Taylor is a guy we talked about on this running back podcast. He's a guy I said, you know, at the time Marlon Mack was healthy. I said next year he will be drafted as a first rounder. I still believe that's going to be the case. I think the same thing goes for the Colts that I said about the Cowboys. I would say Colts probably had the best offensive line coming into this season. Haven't really looked as good as I thought they were going to as an offensive line unit. Blocking's been a little shoddy. And just as a player, I thought Jonathan Taylor would have had way more home runs by now. Way more 60-yard scampers into the end zone. He kind of looks a little bit more just like a bruiser, a straight-ahead kind of guy, not as shifty as I remember him in college, but there's still time. He's also had a lot of brutal matchups. Phillip Rivers has also been really bad at turning the ball over. Game scripts have not exactly been in his favor, but he's still catching passes, and he's still getting like 16 carries a game. I think second half of the season, Joey, Jonathan Taylor owners are going to be very happy. And I think Colts fans are going to be a little more excited about their star rookie running back. And finally, the steal of the draft, a Big man time. named James Robinson. Who saw that coming? Raise your hand. You're a freaking liar, sir. You know what? And that's the classic case of, yeah, you definitely just, that's a stroke of luck, right? Where Leonard Fournette gets cut from the Jaguars and you immediately go to the waiver wire and you just say, who's the next man up? Some guy named Robinson. Let's do it. Let's roll the dice, which is happening with what? Uh, with Dallas. Uh, what's his name on the Seahawks right now? Uh, oh, DJ Dallas. I was say, Ebra, Ebra, DJ Dallas. I wanted to say Diamond Dallas right now, but that's what <laughs> you do. You, you, yeah, exactly. You just go out and you grab the next man up, and hopefully he's the guy that gets the carries and the touches, and hopefully it works out. Very similar to the Dolphins with Miles Gaskin, who was able to take over the job and make something happen. But James Robinson, he's the out-of-nowhere darling of the season. Absolutely. One of my biggest regrets, Joey, as someone who works in the fantasy football industry is in most of my leagues, I'm the go-to guy for advice. 
So lots of people are blowing up my phone all the time. I'm in a league with my buddy. At the beginning of, right after our draft, he texted me and he said, I really screwed up. I literally have no running backs on my bench. And I was like, oh, buddy, what are you doing? And then I was looking around and I was like, you know what you should do? Pick up a guy called James Robinson. I think they're about to cut Fournette. He might be pretty good for you. Why didn't I take my own advice? Now, here's the best part. Now, now I'm, I'm stuck with thirsty. Gus Edwards. <laughs> I'm thirsty for running backs. I'm trying to get James Robinson from me, and he wants, like, the house for it. <laughs> Look, let me just dive into some James Robinson numbers. He's currently the third fantasy running back in fantasy points in half PPR. He's the number two in PPR. He's a true three-down back. He may be the truest three-down back in the league, not named Kamara. Second amongst all rookies in missed tackles after the catch. Dude is shifty. He only has four tutties as of now. So he's doing all of that fantasy points-wise with only four touchdowns. I see by the end of the year, double-digit fantasy points in his future. In I'm sorry, uh, double-digit touchdowns in his future. He could finish as the number two fantasy running back, which is insane because he was literally on nobody's draft board to begin the season. So there's always one every year, right? You know, yeah, the, there's the, always the, the Arian Foster year, the Kareem Hunt rookie year. This year, his name is James Robinson, and he a man. Jim, Jim James Robinson, man. Holy cow. And my uh, final question on the running backs, and then we're going to hit tight ends. Out of the three guys, I'm going to give you three top ten guys yeah. That are just still the dudes that are standing. Yeah. And you just let me know who's probably the safest bet in the second half. And if a fantasy team was like, I got to go make a big swing for a running back now, who should you target? The three guys I'm going to throw at you right now are Derek Henry, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, or Alvin Kamara. Out of those three dudes who are consensus top 10 picks, who do you think is going to hold up and have a great second half the rest of the way? I still think it's Kamara. I mean, this is what he's on pace to do, okay? 200, 200 rushes for 971 rush yards, 123 receptions for 1,227 rush, or receiving yards, 19 total touchdowns. He is on pace to set the record for a running back in a single season. We're not talking about Kamara finishing as the number one overall fantasy running back this year. We're talking about Alvin Kamara having the best fantasy season of all time, beating Christian McCaffrey last year. That's what he's on pace to do. If you got Kamara this year, I mean, just count your lucky stars. Like it was in a world of misses, you hit a grand slam in that number four spot. Maybe he fell to you even at the number five spot. He's just been lights out, and the Saints don't look to be changing anything anytime soon. They have a few tough matchups, and then from there on, it looks pretty darn good. I think Kamara is going to continue to eat and just absolutely destroy this fantasy year, barring health, of course. How about you? Yeah, Jeff? of course. Well, the Michael Thomas not being in is a huge you know, scenario. I'm right there with you. I guess maybe Edward Hilaire can have huge monster games. Le'Veon Bell being in the fold does sort of maybe change that. They do still give other running backs touches in that backfield. And then, of course, there are going to be games where Patrick Mahomes is going to throw 
four or five touchdowns. It's going to be a shootout show. And maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire doesn't get in on that action. You always got to watch out for Derrick Henry in that second half, right? The dude gets – once he gets the steam oh, yeah. rolling, once he gets the coals and the fire, the train really starts trucking down the railroad. And so he can definitely be a person that can put up some huge numbers. But, yeah, Kamara right now is the Saints offense. It isn't Drew Brees. It isn't Michael Thomas. It isn't Sean Payton. It all goes through Kamara. Super glad that they gave him some money because he totally deserved it. Causing that kerfuffle in, pre- in training camp. Turns out it was kind of the right thing to do because they should have ponied up and paid him. They did, and I completely agree with you. Let's move on to the tight ends. Let's make it quick because this is not fun. No, it's, it's not fun, and you know what? That's a lot of chalk. You know, Both of us had our top threes right now, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews. I think You're maybe correct. Andrews was number two. Those are the number one, two, three guys. Travis Kelsey is just head and shoulders above everyone else. I got him 22 in the points. Bank. 22 points ahead of Kittle right now with 99 points total on the fantasy season. And then a lot of guys that we talked about, John New Smith tied for third right now with Mark Andrews, Darren Waller right behind him. And then it gets a little interesting. Higby, Hurst, we mentioned those guys, but two guys that we didn't mention, Robert Tanyan and Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham out of our own backyard right now is the seventh ranked tight end in fantasy. Color me surprised, Dave. Does that surprise you? Yes and no, Joey. We see this every year. Fantasy tight ends are the worst. Next to kickers, that's the one position I wouldn't mind just totally getting rid of because it's always touchdown or bust, right? Every game, it's 40 yards, and either they fall into the end zone or they don't. So the touchdown leaders are always going to be the tight ends who fall into the end zone. And Jimmy Graham, for us, has been falling into that end zone, and it's been great. I mean, we really dogged the bears for that signing we had what 15 tight ends coming into the season well we're using three of them and we're using three of them pretty effectively one of them drops a ton of passes the other one makes two great plays in a row and then we sit him down and never let him come in again and then yeah jimmy graham's catching touchdowns in the end zone you're right yeah and i mean and that's the same thing with robert tanyan he had one huge game, so that's going to really skew the numbers. I think if you were to do fantasy points per game, he'd be probably in the 15-16 range. But, yeah, I mean, besides the top six, and for me, Jonu Smith is in that top six, a guy who really fits that pedigree, who's not just a touchdown or bust tight end, who's battled injuries that I think is going to sneak into the top ten, is Noah Fant, a guy – I really liked in the off season, but I was really scared off by Drew Locke, you know, which, hey, don't blame me for that. It's still scary. It's, it's Halloween and the Broncos. He's, yeah, he's still right there and scared. So, yeah, I, I would say you're fine. But he averages seven targets a game. I mean, he might be their number one option when healthy. It's maybe him, then Jerry Judy. He's very talented. He gets looks all the time down the field. He's an athletic tight end. I think if anybody is going to be scooting into that top seven tight end range by the second half of the season, it's probably going to be him. And, you know, look, Zach, Zach Ertz got hurt. Hopefully he comes back in the second half. Doesn't really count. We both had him in our top five. Darren Waller, we had in our top five. Johnny Smith was a great call on your part. Hunter Henry has been a little bit of a disappointment this season. And then we had Gronk rounding out the top 10. Gronk is still in, I believe, what like the top 12 there. And he's on the move a little bit. The one guy that I like a whole lot in the second half, he's number six right now in tight ends, is TJ Hawkinson. TJ Hawkinson, he's getting the targets. Now, look, if you look at the numbers, you're like, wow, only maybe four or five catches a game. 
maybe about 40, 50 yards, but they're looking for him in the red zone. He's catching touchdowns. And basically the Detroit Lions offense is hand the ball off, throw to Kenny Galladay, or throw to TJ Hawkinson. And, and as, this move, as the season moves along, I can see Hawkinson continuing to get those targets, maybe even getting some more receptions, some more yards, and keep that touchdown consistency. I still think that if he has a chance, he could possibly creep into that top five. And then just a question for you, in terms of Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby, you like Noah Fant a lot, so he's probably above you, but Hayden Hurst, Tyler Higby, Mike Gesicki, Hunter Henry, or Evan Ingram, who do you think makes the biggest jump out of that collection in the second half? D, none of the above. I know, it's tough, right? I mean, <laughs> no. honestly, honestly, I think it's going to be Hunter Henry. I own Hunter Henry, so I've watched a lot of Chargers games. Super fun. Herbert is lights out. Virgil Green just got put on IR. Hunter Henry is getting targets. He just hasn't really found that chemistry yet with Herbert. I think that's going to come. I really do. I, I think it'll pan out. I, I really, you and I were one of the few people that were really on this Chargers offense in the offseason. A lot of people just totally wrote them off. So we weren't wrong about that. And we've certainly been hammering Justin Herbert on, on, in our daily show. I think this is going to pan out. I think Hunter Henry really has the best chance. But I have been hearing a lot of coach speak about getting Hayden Hurst more involved, and he's averaging six to seven targets a game too. Wouldn't be surprised if tonight, which we're recording this on a Thursday, so Thursday Night Football has probably already happened when you're listening to this, so I'll either sound like a genius or a total asshole. I'll get it up before the show, I promise. <laughs> I think Hayden Hurst is going to have a big night, and I think he could have some big nights moving ahead. Uh, but I did just drop him in a league because I'm just tired of the headache of these tight ends. You know, I would say maybe none, none of them really crack the top seven probably. Yeah. And that's where maybe we can sort of end it with the tight ends. And this is something that happens every year is you've got the four or five guys that each week show up countless times. And then after that, it's a huge grab bag of dudes that pop one week, disappear the next. You know, even when you're talking, you look at Tanya, three touchdowns in one game, hasn't done anything in the last two. I think he's combined for 50 yards in his last two games. Jimmy Graham, if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's kind of worthless. Hayden Hurst popped early, disappeared. Now they're trying to get him back involved. Higby, a couple of games. Now he's kind of banged up. Gronkowski and Fant are on the move. And these are just, this is just situations where I'm just so glad I have Travis Kelsey. This is what I did this year. I said, you know what? Screw it. In the third round, I'm just getting the guy. And I don't have to worry about it. I get to text and watch all my buddies text and bitch and moan about what to do at tight end and waiver wires and who to start. I'm not even worrying about that this year because it's just Travis Kelsey is head and shoulders. I mean, I'm looking at Gronkowski is the number 12 tight end right now. And Kelsey has twice as many points as him. And he is 22 more than the number two guy, George Kittle. So, I mean, if anything you learn from it, Travis Kelsey how long can he stay in this prime elite status moving forward in the next couple of seasons? Who knows? Maybe this is the last year, but it doesn't hurt to always pay top dollar for a tight end. Joey, if we were redrafting today and I had a back end pick, you know, 10 through 12, let's say, when it's coming back around, I for sure wish I went Kelsey. I think he was probably the best second round pick you could make. He's money in the bank. 
I'm the guy pulling my hair out every week, going to the waiver wires, going, uh, is this rookie from Cleveland, Harrison Bryant, going to fall in the end zone again? Dalton Jones? Yeah. Well, people, people Jones. Dalton Schultz? Jones. People yeah, Jones? I mean, I've had two goose eggs in my tight end position this year. Gasecki, Darren Fells. It's... Joey, I, I envy you. I really do. You, you made a good choice, my friend. Dave, that's going to do it. We're checking in on the midseason report, fantasy football style. We just kind of went over our top 10, see where we laid out. Not too bad. You know, injuries, you can't always prevent that or predict that. I feel like we did pretty good for ourselves, and we'll see what happens in the second half. Dave, thank you so much for joining, and good luck this weekend in fantasy. Hey, thanks, buddy. I think this is the first time that we have four leagues together and we're not playing each other. It's nice. <laughs> we've been on that run the last three weeks. We've had to play each other in one week or another. We can finally give each other advice again. Isn't that kind of nice? I love it, buddy. I love it. Thank you for joining, Tidy Guy. We will talk to you soon. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head to BetOnline this weekend. Use their live betting app or maybe put a little skosh down on some games this weekend. Bears Saints, who knows what's going to happen in that game. I'm not going to tell you to put your money down on that side, but there's plenty of other actions, so make sure you check it out on the website. We're going to be coming back early next week with a lot more great content, so make sure you check it out. And we have another Halloween surprise for you coming tomorrow morning, so make sure you check that out here on Believe Betting Chicago, the pod. Until then, be well, be safe, be good to each other. We will talk soon. Joey, I just bought my White Sox Tony La Russa catheter. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.